Hello and welcome to the Health in Focus with Jacobus podcast. I am your host, Jacobus Hollowain. The purpose of the show is to talk about health, healing and healthy lifestyles in a format that is down to earth and pretty easy to comprehend. Most shows will be conversations with experts in the field. However, sometimes I will do a podcast on my own tackling other topics that interest me. The focus is on information, education and even some entertainment. It's not a program where we diagnose, treat or cure any diseases. In case this podcast and topic tickle your interest, please continue your own research by discussing it with a preferred medical professional, by reading books on the topic, or by doing more research on the internet. I am not a doctor, more like a journalist. I've been in this field for over 30 years, which include hosting a three-hour weekly local radio show for 19 years from 2000 through 2019. Through the years, I've also written many articles on health-related topics, and I've used other avenues with others to share what I have learned. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and that you will become a follower for more show updates. Also, please sign up at my website, healthinfocusnow.com, and receive updates on podcasts and articles. Thank you so much. Now, let's go to today's guest and topic. My guest today is Dr. Edward Dretz. He received his PhD at the University of California, Berkeley in 1966 and a postdoc from MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, in molecular biology with Dr. Alexander Rich in 1969. Currently, he is professor of chemistry and biochemistry at Montana State University in Bozeman, Montana. Professor Dretz has directed a research program in the biochemistry of cell signaling for over 55 years that has been supported primarily by the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, and private foundations. He has made significant contributions to research on animal and human nutrition during his research career. Ed Yep. Welcome to the program. Hi, Jacobus. It's always a pleasure to uh, My goodness. interact with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is a uh, absolute pleasure to be with you. Uh, your contact information I will put on the podcast, and we will mention it at the end of the show so people can write it down. Okay. Interesting topic today, DHA fat, docosahexanoic acid. Is that correct? Is that Did I say it right? Yep. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> it is. That's why we it, call it DHA. DHA for we short. We don't call it all its full name, mm -hmm. but uh, you, know, you can use the full name if you want to, but usually yeah. DHA is the thing best. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's a great topic. Uh, you asked me to call it today DHA and related nutritional factors. Now, I do know that uh, DHA is part of the omega-3 group. And uh, we're going to talk more about omega-3s in general. We're going to talk about nutrition, possibly some ADD, ADHD amongst children. Uh, we're going to talk about the essence of grass-fed meat. And we're going to talk about some of the research studies that you have been involved in, uh, which also included this DHA fat. So um, I know you are great as a professor. You... <laughs> You have taught many classes, so I would say go ahead and explain what we need to know. Okay, so first of all, we'll kick it off with what is DHA? Uh, it's a long-chain omega-3 fatty acid. We'll talk about omega-3 and omega-6. Fatty acid is a typical component of our bodies and our nutrition, and 
DHA is a really good fat. They're not so good fats and really good fats. Now, one of the key functions of DHA is forming the synapses in our brain. You probably know that the brain is full of all these communicating neurons. Mm -hmm. And one neuron comes up against another one, but there's a gap there, there's a synapse. Right. And in order for that synapse to work right, you need lots of DHA. In fact, about 35% of that synapse is DHA, wow. plus proteins and wow. a few other things. But it controls signaling in these membranes to allow the signals to be sent out and the signals to be received. And if you don't have enough DHA, the body puts in something else, some other fat that doesn't work as well. Mm. And so uh, this leads, tends to lead to anxiety oh. and uh, depression and even cognitive decline. That is difficulty remembering things and recalling things. Yes. And so it's super important. Now there's a, a related omega-3, long omega-3, slightly shorter, it's called EPA. Yes. And it's important because it moderates something called inflammation. So if you cut yourself or you get injured somehow, your body responds with this inflammation to fight off bacteria and fungus, fungus and whatever it is. But you, and you, so you want some inflammation, but if you have too much inflammation, this causes a wide range of chronic diseases. Correct. Heart disease, type two diabetes, it goes on and on. There's a long, long list. Of well, I usually diseases. say anything that ends with itis is an inflammation. Usually, I think and that's they probably have, right. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So this EPA is another, it's not quite as long as DHA, but it's, it's also a long chain omega-3. And DHA and EPA are high in ocean fish. Okay. And also in fish oils. There's a problem that some of the commercial fish oils are very low in quality, and it's hard to tell what the quality of the fish oils is unless you consult with somebody knowledgeable like Jacobus. Um, <laughs> because there are some fish oils that are highly purified and remove any traces of mercury or other PCBs or other chemicals. Yeah, correct. And these Lead. are very good. And they're mm -hmm. not, not very expensive, the purified ones. No. So and they don't it, taste bad either. No, they don't taste no. bad. And, you know, it's expensive to eat high-quality fish like salmon and... and uh, whatever, yeah. uh, halibut. Yeah, halibut. Uh, right. So, oh, as much of that as you can afford or you like, mm -hmm. uh, that's great. But like kids usually won't eat fish like that. Correct. Or most kids, some some do, but not most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this purified fish oil is really good. And we'll get into that further as we go along. Now, by the way, is it so that the skin holds more omega-3s or the actual meat of the fish? Well, it's all over the fish. Okay. And, because uh, my grandkids love to eat the skin. Yeah, well, the skin is tasty. Yeah, yeah. it is. Depends on how it's cooked. Many people don't like skin, but they yeah. just eat rather the skin than well, the rest. Good, eat the whole whole fish. Yeah, know? they should. Yeah, okay. Yeah, That's another so, show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you have little sardines, right, with the whole sardine yeah. and so yeah. forth. Now, there are some fish that are so-called bottom feeders, mm -hmm. like catfish and tilapia are common ones. Yeah. The problem with those is that you usually don't get wild ones, you get farmed ones and they're fed corn and soy just like commercial meats of chickens and beef and so forth and we'll talk about the dangers of feeding the animals corn and soy or the negative nutritional effects 
Yeah. We'll talk about that in a, in, a, in a few minutes. That leads in to the two types of essential fatty acids. There's certain fatty acids that our body needs that we can't make in our bodies, and they're called essential fatty acids. There's omega-3 and also omega-6, which people may have heard of. So we can't make either omega-6 or omega-3. We can't change the omega number. And oh, actually there is, that isn't totally correct, but it's there is omega-9 we can make. Correct. So we can actually make olive oil in our body. Olive oil is an omega-9. Yes. So we can make that in our body, but we can't go further to omega-6 and omega-3. Mm. So many common foods are way too high in omega-6. And what's really crucial is the balance between 6 and 3. Mm-hmm. And we can make a little bit of EPA and DHA in our bodies, but... If we have a lot of omega-6, it blocks that, it turns out. And we could go into the mechanism of that, but I don't think that's important. But if you well, have I, lots of omega-6... I, I don't know how you would explain it, but I, over the years, I've learned so much from you. Yeah. Uh, little talks here and there. Uh, sometimes you would grab a card out of your, uh, <laughs> your, your shirt pocket and write down some notes. But we'll, we'll see if it, just, uh, if it comes up. It's an interesting thing. Okay. I think it has to do with the enzyme breakdown of omega-6 versus omega-3. Yeah, that it's it, actually that it takes enzyme, four times longer to break down en- omega. Enzyme build up. So most of the food fatty acids are shorter. They're typically 18 carbons. It's okay. the most common, but there may be shorter ones too. And so our body has enzymes that can build these longer and add some more double bonds. So... The uh, shorter ones don't have as as many double bonds, but they have either omega-3 or omega-6. It turns out that the same enzymes are used to process the shorter omega-3s and omega-6s into the longer ones, but the 6 and 3 compete for those same enzymes. Correct. So if you have too much 6, then the little bit of omega-3 you might have doesn't have much of a chance to get made into EPA or DHA. And and I think you explained once that it takes um, it takes our enzymes four times longer to convert omega six down into the active form than it would take to break omega three down into EPA DHA. Is that correct? Maybe that's about right. Yeah, I don't actually remember that number myself. Okay. But yeah, well, they they both ends both three and six are processed by the same enzymes, but the three tends to be so much lower in amount that tends to go slower because the fatty acid has to find and bind to the enzyme. And if most of the enzymes are occupied by the 6, then the omega-3 doesn't have much of a chance. Correct. So the ability to, to do beneficial metabolism of omega-3 is inhibited by high 6. Mm, okay. So many common foods are really high in 6. Mm-hmm. Corn oil, soy oil, or corn and soy whole grains are extremely high in omega-6. So an awful lot of the commercial meats, both beef, chickens, pork, et cetera, even, even uh, deer and elk you buy, or buffalo, yeah. yeah, you buy, tend to be fed corn and soy. Now oh. they may say that they're, well, there's a trick that they may be raised on grass, and we'll get into that difference a little bit later, but they're generally finish them on corn and soy because it allows them Fatten to gain them a weight little bit fat. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So the corn and soy fed meats are a big negative unless you take an awful lot of omega-3 supplements. 
but we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, safflower and sunflower also high in six. And peanuts, peanuts are super high in six. They're, I think, the highest oil in six. Mm -hmm. So like a peanut butter sandwich that a kid will eat yeah. is just jumping with omega-6. And then if they have peanut butter jelly on white bread, yeah, you know, that's terrible for them, but that's sometimes that's all the kids will eat. Yeah, that's true. So if you if they eating that, you really have to get DHA mm. into them as an antidote to that very high omega-6. And so these purified oils are easy to take. You aren't going to get them to generally eat a piece of salmon or a piece of halibut if you could afford even if you can afford it. But you can get this uh, DHA purified oil into them one way or another. Some kids don't mind taking a pill, but others you can just squeeze it into something. Correct. And it doesn't taste strong and, yeah. and uh, you know, you can get them to eat it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So DHA is an antidote to a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Aha. Uh -huh. And it's also an antidote to commercial chicken and, and beef. Turns mm -hmm. out commercial chicken is one of the highest sources of omega-6 in our diet. Depends, you know, people tend to, they're gonna reject beef and they're gonna go for chicken. Correct, as the uh, healthier white meat, so to say. white meat. But the problem not. is it's, yeah. it's just entirely uh, omega-6 almost. Yeah, that's what they feed them. Now, there's another key dietary factor that fits here, but you might say, well, why does this fit? It's fructose, and I'll try to make that clear. So fructose and fruit sounds kind of good, and you know, you can eat a little bit. It's best to eat fruit that's, you know, like berries and such that don't have so much fructose, but it turns out we don't eat, need to eat any fructose to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Our bodies make some fructose in our metabolism, but we use it right up again. So we don't actually need any fructose in our diet. You can I say you can eat some berries and things like that and sure. they're good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's a really good illuminating experiment, I think, that's very striking. And it was done with rats. And you might say, well what do rats have to do with humans? Well the problem is their their genetics is pretty darn similar, only slightly different. Yeah. And but it's very hard to do controlled dietary experiments on humans. Because you tell them to eat something and they may or may not follow your directions. Mm -hmm. So in order to do a good dietary experiment on humans, you have to take the humans and put them in the hospital in a metabolic ward. And, and monitor everything. And it's very expensive. Yeah, you bet. And it's hard to get volunteers yeah, to do yeah, that. So yeah. there aren't very many really good human dietary experiments. So these rat experiments are very illuminating, I think, because half the rats are put on what's called the soda pop diet. What is that? It's 15% fructose in their drinking water. Okay. And the control rats just have plain water. So the soda pop rats get fatty liver from the high fructose. Okay. They get type 2 diabetes and they get cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. Now you can teach rats to do things, go through mazes or various things, but these darn soda pop rats can't remember how, they're, how to do it. They have cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. But now, the key thing, if the soda pop rats are fed DHA along with the soda pop, they still get fatty liver, but their type 2 diabetes is moderated, and they don't have cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. So again, DHA appears to be an antidote to a bad diet. Interesting. So what could be, you know, it's hard to get people to change 
their diets completely. Mm. But if you can give them supplements that will offset those difficulties, then that's a wonderful thing. And do that every day. Yeah, every Just day. Just make it an everyday every event. Every it's good to take the DHA with food mm -hmm. because it gets absorbed better. I don't really have a recommendation by how, for how much, but it also depends on what else is in your diet. Sure. If the kid is eating nothing but peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, then he's going to need more mm -hmm. than a kid that has a more balanced diet. Now, good fish are very expensive. Salmon and halibut, I mean, they're great. We oh, eat yeah, them once in a while. Everything but, has become expensive. Yeah, well, but you know, good fish is yeah. even more. So is, uh, even though uh, you do mention that the fish oils... The quality fish oils, yeah, you know the Carlsons, Barleens, uh, Nordic Naturals, Wileys—they're all clean oils. They're well purified, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, as long However, as they have in the label what the composition is. You bet. I've noticed that some of the the big stores that have low prices, you go and look at their fish oil, and they don't even tell you what's in it. They don't tell how much DHA or EPA or other things. Mm -hmm. It's just fish oil, mm -hmm. and that's what people will buy often because it's cheap, right? The good purified stuff isn't that expensive, but they go to one of the big stores and they'll get some brand X fish oil for half the price. Well, and I can give you some insight if that is correct. Uh, uh, I know a company, I know a broker who it was difficult to get their oil for like three or four months. Uh -huh. And I asked him, I said, what is going on with the oil? We have your capsules, but we don't have the liquid. And he said, the issue is that we've been getting it from our same source. And every time a batch comes in, that oil comes in big barrels. And they said, we put a dipstick in there and a little one of those little scoopy things at yeah. the bottom. And we just test the oil before we accept it. And he said, every time there has been something in it that doesn't fly with us, it doesn't uh -huh. fly the, the test, and he said, we cannot accept it and tell our people, tell the customers that it has all this taken care of when it isn't. So they have rejected that oil. And so it goes back to the company who is not Better stuck to reject with, it than take junky oil. Correct. But what is the company going to do with that oil when it is returned to them? They, they're going to go for the lowest bidder or for yeah. the highest bidder, I should say. That is They'll often it why, off to, it is, yeah. why it ends up in a mass market. It may not be the highest quality oil. Yeah. Well, it may be better than no fish oil at all. Correct. But, gee, I mean, you wouldn't have to pay that much for a purified clean oil. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, especially if it's kids, you know. I yeah. mean, that's especially if it's kids. Yes. So, oh, and then there's another factor is that some people are committed vegetarians or vegans, and that's okay. But there is an algae-derived DHA mm -hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with fish. I mean, the fish normally eat the algae, and then a lot of us eat the fish. But in this case, they grow the algae in big tanks in a factory, which is fine. But they they use an algae that's very high in DHA. Yeah. And is that lichen? Uh, well, the one I know is no. I'm, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the company. It doesn't stick in my mind right now. It was Garden of Life, I think. Garden of Life. That's Garden it. of Life. That's Garden that of one. Life is the only one. That, that I recall, I mean, that's what my wife uses. Mm -hmm. Since I'm mentioning that, I could say one more thing. That my wife for many years was an elementary, was a preschool teacher. Yeah. And one of the problems there is that she loves it, but the little kids tend to bring in every sickness that's in town. And they don't have 
you know, they just don't know any better. They sneeze in your face and, you know, have runny noses and, you know, so you get attacked by whatever is around. And it turns out that you need inflammation to fight that stuff off. And if you have too much EPA, then your immune system could be moderated. So she went to pure DHA and no EPA, and that helped her immune system be stronger. Hmm. So hmm. that's what she uses. Yeah. No DHA. Okay. And no EPA. Okay. Yeah. Now I take the one with EPA mm-hmm. because I, you know, I deal with kids, but they don't tend to be quite as you know magnets for all the things that are going around town as the littler kids right. for some reason. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Mm. So good. Now another thing that I could mention about DHA is that we've done some experiments supplementing school kids with DHA. And we've done, I won't take time to go into all of it, but uh, we've done high-performing high school students that improved tremendously. But one of the striking things is with Native American elementary school Mm. children. Mm. Now, most of these kids are very poor readers, and that makes it hard for them to learn things. Right. So we worked with this tribe and set up a study to supplement half the kids pretty much in each grade in elementary school with DHA, the purified DHA. And we used the DHA-EPA mix. So we paid a lady at the school to keep track of which kids got, I mean, there were half the kids in each class were signed up and uh, their parents or guardians signed off on the on allowing the kids to get these supplements. So after lunch, uh, this lady at the school would give the kids that are supposed to get it this, the pill so they had food in, in them and absorbed well. Yeah. And then they're normally, they're tested for reading pretty much every month. And so most of them, some of them read fairly well, but most of them not well at all. And over just a three-month period at the end of the school year, their reading scores increased dramatically. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Just with the DHA, nothing mm-hmm. else. Our DHA-EPA mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was tremendously encouraging. There's another thing that we didn't anticipate when we designed the study is that the principal of the school was a big fan of this approach. She called it feeding the brain campaign. Uh-huh. And that's why she helped, you know, encourage the the parents or guardians to sign the kids up. Correct. But what we didn't know is that she signed up the parents and guardians for all the troublesome kids, the kids that were often getting thrown out of class for misbehavior. Mm. And uh, so she got all of those and got them into the study. And we didn't even know she did that, but it was fine. But after a month of supplementation, there were fewer kids coming to her office. Now, before that, the kids get thrown out of class and they'd get sent to the principal and the principal would give them a stern talking to and you send bet. them back. Yeah. But they'd all usually just rotate, yes. come in and out, in and out. And occasionally she'd get one kid turned around, but not very often. So after just one month of supplementation, there were fewer kids coming to her office. After two months, there were hardly any. So, And after three months, she didn't have anybody wow. come into her office. Wow. So the teachers said that the classrooms were a happier place mm. and... Everybody learned better. Now, the mm. supplemented kids, much better, but even the other kids learned better because the classrooms were a happier place. Well, sadly, 
We yeah. know that the kids are usually given uh, medication for that. Yeah. You know, and it's so, too bad because yeah, too it bad. doesn't, uh, there is it, obviously like a, putting a deficiency. Band-aid, putting in, a Band-Aid on a, yeah. on a scratch or an injury, but it doesn't kill the, the underlying problem. That's yeah. right. And actually, I could mention that this was right at the end of the school year. And the following year, we had reading performance. And the kids forget everything over the summer, it turns out. So they, after, after the summer, they yeah. come back and yeah. aren't reading very well. Yeah. But the second year, the kids did much better. Uh-huh. The supplemented kids. Because once that DHA gets in their brain, it stays there for quite a while. Mm. Now, the tribe would love to have us come and supplement at all their schools because this is just one out of 10, I think. Mm. But we've had trouble raising money to do it. Yeah. And uh, we went to the National Institutes of Health. Yes. You've probably heard of them. They're the, <laughs> they're the major funders. <laughs> yeah, I have. Of, of, uh, I mean, I'm talking to the people out there, you know. Yes. Uh, they're the major funders of, of biomedical research in the country. And there's a National Institute of Cancer, Diabetes, heart disease, on and on and on. There's 21 different institutes. And they all have kind of a different aim. Mm-hmm. And I've raised a tremendous amount of money over the years from the NIH. Mm-hmm. So I know how the whole process works. Yeah. yeah, I was unable to get any money from the NIH. In fact, well, I don't think I want to take a long time going into it, but we finally, after we tried various ways, we gave it a really good run. We tremendously improved the proposal and got some other people involved that Mm. were beneficial. And it turns out our proposal was kicked out uh, because it had the words nutritional supplementation in it. So? So the NIH didn't, at least the institute that we applied to, and it was the only institute that had an outstanding call for proposal. How weird. Yeah. That was the National Institute of Nursing Research. What do you mean? Oh, there's a National Institute of Nursing Research. That is part of the National Institute of Health. It's one of the 21 institutes. Yes, okay. And we had a, a nurse on our team who was the head of the nursing school back then. I mean, the chairman of the f- nursing faculty. Yeah. And he'd done work on Indian reservations and mm-hmm. was really good at designing experiments and analyzing data. And he helped us improve the proposal tremendously. Huh. But... Oftentimes, when it's kicked out of one institute, there'll be other institutes to fund it. But it so happened that for this kind of work, the other institutes didn't have a call for proposals that fit. So the National Institute of Nursing Research was the only one that was appeared to be interested in funding it. And when I called around, I found out that the lady who'd run the study section, it's called, mm-hmm. she's the program officer. She said, oh, I remember that proposal. Mm-hmm. I really loved it. I wanted to fund it. And I said, well, what happened? She said, well, we scan the proposals for words. If there's certain buzzwords in there, we call it, it kicks it out of one institute. And maybe it'll go to another institute. But in our case, we were only had one institute, and so we were kicked out. Hmm. So I won't go into any more details, but we haven't, been able to, yeah. we haven't been able to get money in that direction. I've raised probably more than any other faculty member at MSU Bozeman from NIH. We don't really keep track. But uh, different professors, but a lot because oh, I've been doing it for a long time too. Yeah. So now we're trying to go to private foundations mm. for money. And so mm. I think we'll probably be able to do that. It's interesting that you call yourself the National Institutes of Health. And I don't. Health is, yeah, all, no, right. not you, but this they, institute. Yeah. And then you go, health is 
so much, such a yeah. wide field, why do you eliminate the natural approach or nutritional supplements as part of your research project? Yeah, we, well, we all know why, but it is uh, it's a, it's yeah, a frustrating well, also a relatively new National Institute of Alternative and Complementary Medicine. Okay. I thought, oh boy, this is going to be good for us, right? Yeah. So I call up a high-level person there and said, well, you know, we have been, we're at the bottom of the priority here at, at the NIH and other institutes make fun of us hmm. because, you know, alternative and complementary medicine, we're not real, you know, medical scientists. Correct. And so we have really narrowed our scope to pain because none of the other institutes really cover that. Mm -hmm. So that's our territory. That's all we're covering at, at the National Institute of Alternative and Complementary Medicine. I see. So anyway, so they were in a place that we could apply to. So anyway, mm -hmm. the reading scores shot up, uh, behavior improved, and the same. there's the same funding, finding from an Oxford, England study where they looked at reading and behavior they had the parents rate the behavior, and uh, boy, the behavior just improved tremendously. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the readers that were the poorest at the start improved the most. Mm. If they were already pretty good readers, they didn't have much room to improve. Sure. But if the ones that were the poorest readers are the ones that improved the most. And it, you have to be a reader in order to learn a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's, that's that. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, weird maybe that I say this, but I found this study that I had in my files yep. from 2001. Mm -hmm. And it was called uh, Integrative Approach in Treatment of ADD. Yep. And it was from Nutraceuticals World 2011. Mm -hmm. And what it says, but it says over here it, was, it, it came out in September 2001. Yeah. And it says, essential fatty acids, including omega-3 fatty acids, are primarily concentrated in mammalian brain, where they help form critical constituents of neuronal cell membranes. Omega-3 fatty acid blood levels have been demonstrated to be lower in children with ADHD than in age-matched controls. Furthermore, diets high in omega-3 fatty acids appear to be a particular protective factor against depression, and recent studies have reported beneficial effects of high-dose essential fatty acids in bipolar disorder. DHA is an omega-3 fatty acid and a major component of fish oil. It is necessary for optimal brain development and is the most abundant omega-3 fatty acid in human breast milk. DHA is incorporated in the cell membrane of brain cells, where it functions to assist cell signaling and synapse formation, as you said in the beginning of your, your talk. Mm -hmm. DHA may also exert beneficial activity by either influencing dopamine metabolism or indirectly by modulating neurotransmitter receptor binding. DHA has demonstrated benefits in dyslexia and at the Brain Behavior Center, we are currently exploring its use and have efficacy in ADHD. Yeah, it's so great, but I don't think it's I don't think it's really caught on. I mean, when was that published? <laughs> Twenty years ago. Yeah, I don't think it's really caught on. I mean, I think there are, you know, further studies, but it hasn't really been embraced by the field. Right, but uh, and that is exactly uh, uh, you're absolutely true because if this information came out 20, 23 years ago, twenty two years ago, then you go indeed. How come this is not more common knowledge? And why do we still have to struggle all the time to incorporate or to include this type of information in the discussions? Well, if you know, if you go to a naturopath, some of them might recommend this. 
but the typical medical professional wouldn't even think of it. I don't think a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I mean, maybe there are a few out there, but uh, not the typical ones you'd run into. Now, when it comes to DHA supplementation, I, I feel personally looking at labels that the recommendation is usually not adequate for children or adults to take on a daily basis. I think that there are therapeutic values to how much DHA would be beneficial and how much EPA would be beneficial. And my understanding is that when you look at the label, most of the labels of fish oil will, and I, I want to explain to people, you turn your bottle over and it will be that rectangle that says supplement facts. And on the supplement facts, it will give you a serving size. That could be a teaspoon, one capsule, two capsules, whatever it will say. And then once you know what the serving size is, you can take 12 of those, it doesn't matter, but now you look on that label how much DHA and EPA you have. And if you take it more for a DHA effect, my understanding, Dr. Dratz, is that it will be, it needs to be somewhere around uh, 2,000 milligrams of DHA to be therapeutic for the brain and prostate and breast and myelin sheath. And also, and roughly about 2,000 milligrams of just EPA if you pick a fish oil that is higher than the EPA. Isn't it so that what you have recommended to children, you actually look at a fish oil that automatically indicates, or that already indicates on the label that it is higher in the DHA? Yeah, I think the DHA is especially important for younger people because of the brain functions. And you don't want too much EPA because it might moderate their immune system too much. Mm. But I think that it's it's kind of individual. It depends on how much omega-6 they're eating, uh, true. all kinds, how much fructose they're eating, all that kind of thing. So what I advocate is starting kind of at a moderate level, maybe 450, 500 milligrams of DHA, DHA. and make sure that doesn't upset their stomach. I don't think it would. No, it wouldn't. And uh, so forth and so on. And then see, you know, you notice anything. Uh, seems like a little improvement. You could try doubling it. Okay. And you could try tripling it. You could try quadrupling it and kind of go slowly. Mm. Go slowly. Don't just jump into a high dose. Okay. And see how the kids, because, you know, kids small, young kids are small. and Sure. They need less than a teenager for example like for example i just recently read i haven't checked this out but one third of young girls these days in the u.s are have contemplated suicide mm. can you imagine that yeah yeah, yeah yeah wow one third one third i i haven't tracked it down i don't know how accurate it is but it, you know you, you see it out there mm -hmm. and uh i probably should track it down but uh it's kind of depressing to track down well but, you bet but anyway they're deficient in, in this. And there's another big, that's very well documented, is postpartum depression. Absolutely. Postpartum depression. Yeah. So there's an incredible mm -hmm. correlation between the occurrence of postpartum depression in different countries and the average DHA in the people's blood tissues. Yeah. I mean, this is a horrible thing. A woman has a baby, she wants to be happy with the baby, and she's depressed. Yeah. So it's very clear that uh, DHA opposes this postpartum depression, and 
women get prenatal vitamins, mm-hmm. but very low dose of DHA. Yeah, that's true. Most prenatal vitamins have way too little DHA in my opinion. Yes, yes. So that's another big factor. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. Now, there's also a 20-year study of nurses. And the reason that they chose these nurses, they thought they'd be responsible about reporting of what they ate. Now, if you just ask people to keep track of what they eat, you can't really trust that they're going to do a good job, right? Correct. So they thought these nurses would be serious about it. And so they followed it for 20 years. And the people, the nurses that had the highest omega-3, and that's short chain and long chain, mm-hmm. had 50% less cancer so, and much wow. less heart disease, much less death mm. from heart disease. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, many, many positive effects. Now, get back now to grass-fed animals, pasture-raised chickens, uh, wild game, pasture-raised chicken eggs. The grass has got quite a bit of omega-3 and very little omega-6. And so if you can really get, and that's that's wild game is like that too, but uh, if you can really get grass-fed meats and pasture-raised chickens and eggs from pasture-raised chickens, then they're much lower in omega-6 and much higher in omega-3. Mm. Now, it's a little more expensive, but I think it, it really pays off, and especially in the chicken department, because the commercial chickens are the highest inflammatory fats of any of the meats. I heard once that it takes uh, some of these commercial chicken farms, it takes 28 days to grow a chicken from hatching out of the egg into being nice and plump. And that's because they, they jack them up off. with corn and soy. And they never they never turn the lights off. Uh-huh. They keep the lights on for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Motel 6. Right. <laughs> so the, the chickens that we eat are not only pasture-raised, but they're, they have these systems. They get bugs. The bugs and yeah, worms. They have and... these systems where they move their pens oh, around yeah, the yeah. fields. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so they get bugs and worms and they get fresh grass all the time. I move it every couple of days. Yeah. And, you know, they're just magnificent. They're more expensive. Mm-hmm. And you can't get them in all places. We actually sometimes ship them in by frozen chicken. Mm-hmm. But we think it's worthwhile. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sure they taste really good. They do. They yeah. Do. They do. And you probably need a little bit less to get all the nutrients. So you well, don't, yeah. they're full and of you, nutrients. You yeah. Wow. And, you know, some of the things like even buffalo, you know, they might raise them in the pasture, but then they finish them with corn and soy mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've tested the composition of some of these meats, commercial meats and yeah. uh, beef and chicken and so forth in the buffalo. So is there a difference then between a commercial-raised buffalo, for example, yeah. buffalo, bison, so the grass-fed, corn-finished, let me say, or grain-finished grain finished. afterwards, Does is there anything left of the benefits of the grass-fed, the grass-feeding in the, in the meat of those animals? There is, but the problem is they feed them corn and soy to get them to grain, gain weight. Correct. And so they gain fat. Yes. And so if they just purely grass-fed all the way, they don't have as much fat. They're not as tender, uh, maybe not as tasty. I don't know. But you see, the final finishing adds a whole lot more fat Mm -hmm. than what they started with. So there's still a little good stuff in there, but much, much less in proportion. Correct. So maybe uh, down quite a percentage, and then you really don't get much of the benefits. 
Not much. No. So you're probably going to end up supplementing with dietary supplements to get your DHA, but you got to make sure you read the label. And as you mentioned, maybe do start with a lower potent, lower yeah, dose. Start with but a lower look dose. Look at the label, right? And then and maybe for a week, two weeks. What would you say? Well, it depends on. I mean, some kids are very sensitive to things. But it's not just about kids. It's also adults. Sure, uh, sure. You know who well, want to take it. If you're a family, yeah. it's probably a good idea. Yeah, take it all together. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's much less likely that an adult will be overdosed. I mean, I don't think that kids are overdosed either, but sometimes kids, you know, react to things if they have a lot of it. And uh, so I like to just start anything low and work it up. Yeah. yeah. But you give it roughly, would you recommend, because I know you've worked with children in this case, do you let them do a dose for about two weeks? Three weeks, uh, and then before yeah, you go up? A week or two. A week or two, yeah. okay. Now, these Indian kids, we just fed them the same thing all along. Yeah. Right? And there's also a couple of uh, high school kids mm -hmm. that recruited their classmates for a big study. And uh, the, the high school kids had worked with us at the university in the summer and learned how to analyze these fats in their, in their own bodies. Yeah. And so they learned a lot about the whole process. And so they decided to do a real experiment with their high school friends they recruited. Mm -hmm. And they set up a, a couple of tests for attention and for memory. Mm. So, you know, they have these computer programs and they'd get some kind of, you know, stimulus there and they'd have to punch a button. So the more closely the kids were paying attention, mm -hmm. the the uh, better reaction time they were getting, and then their memory process would was also tested by another computer program, and they found that uh, you know the supplemented kids improved greatly mm. compared to the non-supplemented kids, mm. and uh, so they made quite a good study out of that. Wow, and, fantastic! Uh, yeah. And. The uh, I was going to ask you the EPA DHA connection isn't is it so that there is some EPA that converts into DHA? There is some, but okay. I said again, if you have high omega six, then that reaction tends to be slowed way down. Mm -hmm. So some of the EPA would be converted into DHA. Okay, yeah. and there's another piece of this that there's a particular enzyme that converts that. EPA to DHA, and it turns out that the occurrence of Alzheimer's disease in yeah. older people yeah. is strongly correlated with how much an individual has of that enzyme. Hmm. So there hasn't been a lot of work done in looking at EPA, DHA in Alzheimer's or controls. We're trying to do some now, but, but not much has been done. But there is a pretty big study that showed the occurrence of Alzheimer's correlated strongly with the level of that enzyme that people happen to have. Okay. So the better, better they were equipped to make their own DHA, yeah. the less Alzheimer's they had. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So that needs a lot more work. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that something you're interested in? I'm to, very to, interested in. To... Very interested in. Yeah, we're trying to work on it now, mm -hmm. and so we have to get some more money to support the work. Would that be something you could do over here in this area, or would you have to make that a national study? Well, um, because I know there are different facilities yeah, in get, this town. We get that far, we'll have to 
we'll have to plan something and uh, we'll have to look at the alternatives. Hmm. Uh, there are some alternatives, and so. Well, you may have to get the approval from the family members who may not oh, sure. want you to do. Oh, sure. That's complicated. Oh, sure. It's very complicated. Yeah. Huh. Human studies are very complicated. We've done quite a few human studies, but mm. oftentimes we have this collaboration with a group in Australia that's okay. the biggest Alzheimer's uh, study program in the world, mm. and they sign people up when they're older but long way from the end of the road. Sure. And they take blood samples every year. Mm -hmm. And then finally, when the people pass, they get their brains. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have age-matched controls. They're not healthy controls, because usually you talk about healthy controls, but these people died but of something else. I see. Not Alzheimer's. Cofactors. And so we have brains from these people and yeah. blood samples from these yeah. people, and that's what we're working on now. So? Yeah. So that's a good... Hmm. That's a good. Now we tried to get money for exp extending that when our colleague was in Australia, but the NIH didn't want to send any of the money to Australia, so we didn't get that funded. But now he's moved to Emory University in the United States, and mm -hmm. so we're just about to send in another proposal to mm -hmm. study this further. Wow, these studies are so important, and I think probably quite a few have been done in the past. I know that one of the benefits of omega-3 or DHA on the brain is uh, helping with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And how many people are suffering from anxiety? And Lots. I just wonder how much success has there been done with studies on using DHA on people with anxiety. Uh, is that something that you know about? Uh, I know something about it, and it yeah. certainly, is, uh, certainly is effective. <clears throat> I haven't studied this myself. I'm interested in it, but anxiety is kind of a, you know, it's, you can measure it, but it's not an easy thing to measure. Like, Correct. Like cognitive decline, for example. No, it could be panic like attacks or something, yeah, or yeah, yeah. obsessive I mean, compulsive disorder. Yeah, you can do Those that. are part uh, of anxiety. So right? I haven't been drawn to study that. Okay. Uh, so I'm not as familiar with the literature. Hmm. But uh, So we primarily have been working on Alzheimer's and in type 2 diabetes, which is also correlated. There was word many years ago that cod liver oil, which naturally is higher in DHA, would be good for prostate health and for breast health. Um, so I've automatically assumed, which was wrong on my part maybe, that DHA is the fat that is good for prostate and for breast health. You know anything about that? No. I haven't looked at that. Haven't looked at it, read anything about it? I haven't. No, there's so much literature out there, you know, that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get easily get buried mm -hmm. in it. But how uh, about DHA for helping repair the myelin sheath? I don't think so much. Okay. Uh, so you really talk about uh neurological but then yeah. more brain. Actually only. interesting enough, uh the myelin sheath depends on uh cholesterol intake. Mm. And a lot of people are scared away from having any cholesterol and if people have high levels of these cholesterol lowering drugs it actually has negative effects on their mind hmm. yeah because hmm. you have to have a certain this these myelin sheaths are like insulation between nerves mm -hmm. and uh if you don't have enough insulation between your nerves things don't work very well i see yeah well that's a lot of great information ed i really appreciate uh, your insights and your research and your ongoing research i know you 
you have done this for, we talked about earlier, about yeah. 55 years. Yeah. So people can slightly guess what age bracket you're in. Uh, <laughs> now, for those people who would like to contact you, there is an email, and they can go to drats, D-R-A-T-Z, D-R-A-T-Z, at montana.edu. And that will bring you, that would get you an email. If people listen to this podcast, it would be fun if you say, hey, I heard you on the podcast. I got a few questions or some comments. I would yeah, uh, much they, appreciate it. If they put Jacobus's podcast in the subject line. You bet. That will alert me to what's coming. Super helpful. And, uh, yeah, that yeah. would be helpful for me. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, I really, really, really appreciate you came and that you uh, wanted to highlight this topic, which is so important. And uh, like I said, your work on essential fatty acids and DHA uh, in particular and working with children and working through the school of your wife uh, has been tremendously valuable for our community over here, for me personally, from what I've learned. So thank you so much, and I do wish you all the best uh, moving forward. Thank you, Jacobus. You're a great resource for the community as well. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Bye-bye, folks. Uh, tune in to the next podcast on this channel and or find your favorite podcast outlet where you can find much more information. We'll be back. Thank you.